Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you today? I'm okay, Jason. How about you? I'm doing fantastic, Bill. I'm looking forward to the program today, and I guess we need to start out with something that we mentioned last week. Well, I I wanted to admit to a mistake that I made, uh, and I was actually talking about two of my uh, favorite topics when it comes to charitable giving. And uh, I I, I was fortunate to have one of my listeners, uh, which, you know, I have time to time, because sometimes folks send me questions or they're saying, I'm not sure that was right. And, uh, you know, uh, the good news is most of the time I'm right, but at the same time, there are times when I'm not. And I was talking about qualified charitable donations. And I'll remind folks what that is, because most folks would ask, well, what is that? Uh, so I'll go back to that. But one of the th- where I made my mistake was I was basically putting that together with donor-advised funds. And donor-advised funds are an excellent way for charitable giving uh, with very few if, or no administrative costs to uh, the, the, uh, the giver, which is wonderful because... Frankly, oftentimes when you're trying to set up uh, charitable uh, giving situations, it actually costs you money legally, I mean, to set up the documents, and there are some administrative costs and things like that. And donor-advised funds, you know, those give you good uh, ways, pathways uh, to uh, make charitable gifts with, without obligating yourself to a particular charity at any given time. And so that can be a very effective. But the problem is is the, that you cannot use a qualified charitable deduction to a donor-advised fund. That's where my mistake was. So in other words, you cannot use a qualified uh, charitable deduction for a donor advised fund or a family foundation. I mean, there's some other exclusions too, but the bottom line is, is that you have to make your, your qualified charitable donation directly to a particular charity uh, that is tax exempt. And of course that can, can include your church or synagogue or your favorite charity uh, that you used to take your charitable deductions. The problem is for most folks, Today, there are very few people who itemize. And if you do not itemize, you no longer get a charitable deduction. So, you know, that's one of the reasons that the uh, many charities uh, are struggling a little bit more now because folks uh, have been less generous to some charities and um uh, because they don't get any bang for the gift, if you will, other than other than the good feeling you get when you do good. <laughs> so, all right. So let me go back because I know that when I use terms like you know a qualified charitable donation, people are saying, "Well, what the heck is that? What is he talking about?" Well, for seniors who are seventy and a half 
And of course, last year, uh, seniors did not have, uh, uh, they did not have to take re uh, required minimum distributions from their retirement accounts. Uh, and there's a new age for uh, having to take required minimum distributions, and that is the year you turn 72 is the year that you start having required minimum distributions from your retirement accounts today. Uh, the only exception to that rule that I know of, that I can think of, is a Roth um, uh, a, a Roth retirement account because Roths, you've already paid the income tax and hence there is no required minimum distribution. And, uh, uh, you know, there's some other holdback provisions um, for Roths, but the fact is, is they grow income tax-free and when you take them out, the distributions are income tax-free as well. So those are pretty sweet. But for the rest of us who have traditional retirement accounts, when we turn 72, now we have required minimum distributions. Well, they didn't change the age for qualified charitable donations. So the age where you can make a QCD is 70 and a half. That's the old age where, uh, where you used to have to take required minimum distributions, which they've moved back to 72 now. But once you're 70 and a half, you can make a gift directly from your traditional IRA or retirement account, but I think it's just IRAs, directly to your charity or church or synagogue or the like. Um, and you do not have to pay income tax on what goes to the charity. The charity pays no income tax. They get... 100 cents on the dollar, uh, and you don't have to report that income on your tax return. And actually, that gives you more bang than the old charitable deduction gave you uh, when you could itemize. So for those folks who are seniors, have large IRAs, and they're trying to, and they, and, and they are, they're charitably inclined to begin with. I mean, that's sort of a no-brainer because, you know, if you're not, then why would you? But if, if you're giving money, uh, particularly any significant sum of money, to a, a charity and you have a large IRA uh, and you're charitably inclined, the one way to save a good bit of tax uh, is by making the contribution directly from your retirement account. Now, it cannot pass through your hands when, you know, for these QCDs. It has to go directly from your custodian to your charity. And so that's, that's the way it works. And since, since it is a way for seniors to save money, I'm interested in that, you know, that any way we can reduce or eliminate income tax protects our assets, doesn't it? <laughs> so that that's, uh, but I want to have a shout out to Brian. He's the one who said, Bill, I think you screwed up here. Uh, and so anyway, I, I appreciate, no, uh, uh, appreciate it when folks uh, call on me um, when it when it comes to things uh, like that, but you know, giving generously to those charities that we are 
passionate about. That's one thing about planning that I think is so important. It's not necessarily about maximizing what goes to your children or grandchildren. It, it's about what what are we passionate about during our lifetime? And, you know, sometimes for, for a, a lot of our uh, churches um, and upon our death, the church doesn't receive anything from us after that. And, and oftentimes that is a financial hit where if folks really understood um, you know, the fact that a lot of churches are, what, getting older, uh, and that's a bad thing when it comes to the future of the church. So it, it's kind of thing where if you can make a gift that keeps on giving— for a few years after your death, um, that is a significant thing that you can do as well. Uh, now, uh, I, I don't think I got to emphasize it enough last week when I was talking about giving uh, from your retirement account. Now, the fact is you can make additional gifts from your retirement account uh, regardless and that can also be a good tax plan if you're going to make those gifts anyway, to the charity anyway. The only difference is if it's not a qualified charitable deduction, then it's, a, it's when you have the distribution from your retirement account, it is taxable to you. And, of course, the qualified charitable deduction is limited to $100,000 a year. But a one way to reduce your estate, if you have a taxable estate, the worst, if you have a taxable estate, the worst property you can possibly have in your estate is a traditional IRA. And the, the reason is, is that for most of us, uh, if you have a traditional IRA in your estate at death, it will be taxed somewhere between 80 and 95%, depending on where you live and, and what, uh, what, state, what your state tax rate might be. Uh, now, those folks who live in a state with no income tax, it's be a little bit less. But for, even for those folks, it's typically 75% because you have to pay you don't get any credit or deduction for the fact that you have to pay income tax on those same dollars. And an estate tax right now is 40%, but traditionally it's 55%. So if you factor in that you have to pay at least 50%, and then you have to pay your income tax on top of that for the very same dollar, it's a horrible thing to have. And so when you realize that the most of the planning that we do when it comes to sophisticated planning, it's not for us. It's not for me. It's not for our spouse. It's for who? Who do you think our planning's for? The kids and the grandkids. There you go. That's exactly right. So now nobody likes to pay tax. But the fact is, is that if you have a retirement account where you're going to get killed on that income tax and you can go ahead and pay the income tax by converting it to a Roth or just taking the money and not converting it and paying the income tax, 
you're going to pay a whole lot less and you're just prepaying it for your children so that they don't have to pay the tax when they get it. Because the bad news about an inherited traditional retirement account is that the children and grandchildren who inherit it have to take it out within 10 years of your death. So guess what? That push, pushes a lot of kids into a higher tax bracket than what they would otherwise be in. And so they're looking at you like, mm, or looking at your grave, I should say, going, thanks a lot, Dad. <laughs> but uh, so the bottom line is it, it can be really good estate planning. And I've had several cases this year where I've had to advise my client because they had a very, very large IRA, and in both cases it was a multi-million dollar retirement account, to liquidate it and pay a gobs of income tax because it was actually a huge tax savings to the family because you pay the income tax and that get, does what? It reduces your net worth by what you've paid on that income tax and by doing that, you've done what? You've reduced your estate tax liability. And in both cases where I did it, I completely eliminated the estate tax problem for the family. So it was like a no-brainer. But it's still hard to do because you got to pay the tax. And so anyway, that, but I want to thank Brian for pointing out my mistake last week. You know, none of us are perfect. We try to, we try to do the best we can. But um, anyway want people to to be generous about the charities that they're passionate about because that's what planning is all about. Now, most of us are very passionate about our children and grandchildren, and I think that's a wonderful place for your wealth to go, but a lot of folks have other passions too, and we don't want to forget about those. Very well said, Bill. Uh, it's so much about life planning, the many subjects that you discuss. And if folks are interested in uh, doing some estate planning, they need to get a hold of you. Go to WGALaw.com. That's the best way to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can also find information about him by calling the office, 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000, or online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. Don't forget, that's also where you can find information about Bill's webinars happening the second Wednesday of every month. Next one coming up on Wednesday, November 10th. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on that seminars button, and there you can register for free. It's free to attend. Bill has two webinars that he puts on, one dealing with long-term care assistance, the other dealing with asset protection and trust planning. WGALaw.com. Just click on the seminars button. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. WGALaw.com is where you can go to find more information about Bill. WGALaw.com. Bill, we just uh, 
I guess, squared away last week's mistake with qualified charitable deductions. And we've got some more thoughts uh, related to gifting that we want to get to. Well, it talked about passions and the fact that our children and grandchildren tend to be our most important passion. And um, so I, I want to follow up by gifting, you know, to our children and grandchildren and also the opposite, you know, because many of us, um, uh, you know, we're blessed, we, we've done well, we, we've, we want to see our children happy, we want to get, you know, help them along, if you will, give them a step up if, uh, by helping them financially from time to time. And of course, we can make a mistake by giving them too much. You know, part, part of is making sure that we don't run out of money and, and not letting them take advantage of us, you know, so I can look at it the other way too. But sometimes, uh, and, and not infrequently, our children do extremely well financially themselves. And sometimes the gifting should go the other way. In other words, when our kids are young, we give them the step up, and then when we get older, particularly if we haven't um, provided for ourselves as we should have, which, and I'm afraid there's an awful lot of folks like that, then there's some opportunities where the children should, in essence, give back. Uh, and oftentimes that never happens. So uh, now, one of the things that I always think that's nice about gifting is when you can do something for your children that they would ordinarily not do for themselves. Aren't those, in many ways, the most special gifts? Well, I think so. But what the, the thing about it is, and I think about a, a lot of the dynamics that are going on uh, in this country particularly, but around the world as well. Um, and so I... Th- one of the gifts that I think people should consider for children, for your children and grandchildren, particularly if you're living a blessed life and you've and you've you've got plenty of money for yourself and you've accumulated wealth and you you want to do something special for your children, uh, one special gift is looking at providing a long-term care insurance policy for your children. And, of course, that can be done many different ways. There's a lot of different ways to provide long-term care insurance, from annuities to uh, life insurance contracts with a long-term care rider or traditional long-term care insurance. But why would I say that? The, the reason, one of the reasons that I think this is an important conversation is because of what's happening in this, in this country. Uh, and uh, none of it's our fault. In other words, we were born when we were born. I'm a baby boomer. <laughs> okay. And guess what? Baby boomers are growing and one of the things that a lot of folks don't realize, I mean, sometimes you hear it talked about with Social Security and, you know, this, well, Social Security run out of money. And, of course, I know that's a false kind of 
statement. But the, uh, the fact is, is that the dynamics behind that conversation are very true. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that the generations coming behind the baby boomers are, a, it's a smaller group of people. So in essence, over the next 30 years, the percentage of older retired people <laughs> is going to grow significantly. And the folks, in essence, behind them will be reduced proportionately, right? Okay. So think about what's going on right now with the pandemic and the fact that employers are having difficulty getting people to, to work. Um, you know, what is, all right, so here's the question. What is that doing in our economy, good, and, good or bad? What's it doing for the employees? Come on. Well, it's it's making things. Uh, they're drawing down on their savings, I guess. No. Okay. It's for those who are working. It is driving income up. Employers are paying more for services. You know, a lot of the restaurants are now paying, you know, fourteen, fifteen dollars an hour minimum. You know, a couple years ago they were paying minimum wage. And minimum wage is still down there, what, $7.25 or something like that? I mean, it's ridiculous because minimum wage hasn't changed in how many, 20-some years. So uh, what I'm getting at is it's because of the pool of, of employees willing to work, and everybody needs workers, particularly on the low end, it is driving wages up. So that's good for the employees it's good for the economy it's good for a lot of things but it's also makes it more difficult more competitive on who the employer right and it does also increase prices to some degree right so uh it does all of that so guess what's going to happen in the next 30 years when it comes to the cost of care for seniors uh when it comes to long-term care There'll be fewer employees, and there'll be far more need for long-term care workers than they have. So the analogy is what? What will that do to prices? Prices will go up. And why is that? Because there will be more demand. Well, because they're going to have to pay their employees more. Do you see where I'm coming from? Because you've got a shrinking pool of employees and you've got an expanding need. And that need is going to be huge. So guess what? <laughs> That's one of the reasons that long-term care insurance is going to become more and more important because we don't know how much Medicaid will pay and clearly, Medicaid is the primary provider in this country for long-term care costs at, when, as a whole. Uh, and now, uh, I need to talk about some of the dynamics when it comes to Medicaid. And as you know, I, I do that every month uh, with our webinar. And hopefully, we'll get back to seminars next year where I can see people face-to-face. -face, but I'm enjoying my webinars. But... The, the fact is, is that 
um, that the social dynamics is something that basically means that long-term care is going to be more and more important. And uh, some folks will say, well, Bill, why why do you recommend long-term care insurance? You're an expert on Medicaid, and, and <laughs> right? And getting people qualified for Medicaid, and even middle-class families. And that's one of the things that I try to tell folks. Most middle-class families can, in fact, qualify for Medicaid if, and this is the big if, if they need nursing care, nursing facility care in a nursing home. You know, our system today is skewed towards helping people if they need facility-based care, not home care. So in essence, there is little government assistance provided for those folks who are trying to stay at home or those folks who even need to go to assisted living. Uh, and and so, because Medicaid does not pay for assisted living care, and it doesn't pay normally for memory care. So, and, and guess what? M- more people actually need assisted living and memory care services than they need nursing care services as we age. And so that's where it gets really scary because that's a private pay situation and most families do not have enough money to cover those private pay needs for very long. Uh, and that's, that's where there's a disconnect in terms of government policy and need and, and the like. So those are pretty scary things when you, when you think about it. So what I'm getting at is, for those folks who uh, are, ex- are extremely well-to-do, they, do they need long-term care insurance? Not really. If, if, if somebody has liquidity of maybe a, a million and a half or two million dollars, they don't need long-term care insurance as a policy because they have the liquidity in their bank account or in their investments to pay for their care if they need it. So guess which group of people actually need long-term care insurance? Those who don't have that liquidity. That's right. And, and so even some wealthy folks, you know, I mean, think about a farmer who has 100 acres in, in Wake County uh, North Carolina, and their, you know, their farm is worth $3 million, $4 million. Uh, well, they're wealthy, but they don't feel wealthy, you know. You know, that's a land-rich cash poor. Well, what I'm getting at is that um, it's not necessarily about net worth. It's about your ability to pay and not run out of money. Uh, that's That's what it's all about. So um, the fact is, is that it's... For those folks who are more in line with middle class, you know, folks with, say, a million dollars of liquidity, <laughs> you you would say, well, maybe long-term care is needed there so that you would not run out of money for you and your spouse and maybe even have a little left over for your kids. But the smaller your nest egg, the less likely you'll have anything left for your children, and and actually, for almost all of us, no matter where we are on the spectrum, we would like to leave something to our kids, um, and and that's an important thing for us if if we can make it happen. So, long-term care insurance actually gives us options to stay at home, or to go to independent living, or to go to assisted living. 
uh, because nobody wants to go to a nursing home if they don't have to, if it's not uh, an absolute necessity, there's no other option. Uh, And long-term care insurance oftentimes can give us the money to give us those options. Well, I know you're looking at me uh, cross-eyed, so I know you need to take a break. But I want to come back to this because there's a, a lot involved in these social dynamics that really people should start thinking about ways that they can help their family. It's more of a polite smile than a, a cross-eyed look, Bill. <laughs> Give me a little bit of credit there. Well, hey, if you want to learn more from Bill, as Bill has explained in this segment, that having options when it comes to planning is a wonderful way for you to make sure that you have a plan crafted towards your needs. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, be sure to go online to WGA Law. WGALaw.com. That's where you can schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, or maybe you want to dip your toe in the water another way. Maybe you want to attend one of Bill Webin- Bill's webinars, which he mentioned earlier. You can do that. It's free to do so. It's free to register, free to attend. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, deals with Medicaid, VA benefits, or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to do so. Bill's next set of webinars are happening on Wednesday, November 10th. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button to learn more. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. WGALaw.com is where you can go online to learn more about him. WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're having a a really good discussion right now when it comes to gifting. And we just had a discussion on long-term care insurance. Here's the thing. Let's say you're doing well. You you know that that you're going to leave your children a nice inheritance. Uh, and the like, and your goals are, have been met, and you know that you don't have any issues at all. Well, and let's just say that you have children who are in their 40s or maybe even 50. Um, now, an awful lot of parents, and, and of course they've given you grandchildren, so you're very happy with them, and you're spoiling your grandchildren. Um now, what are the what are your children doing with their money? Well, frankly, if they're doing the right things that you hope they're doing, they're they're doing a number of things. Number one, they're saving for retirement. They are paying their mortgage off. Hopefully, they're getting to a place where they will be debt free when they retire. Uh, so they're putting money back into their retirement account. Hopefully, they're also saving money to help their own children go to college and get ahead in the world. Um, so now, now what I'm getting at is they're not thinking about long-term care, their, their needs as a senior at that point. In, in my practice, it's funny because most children, the light bulb goes on when? 
when their parents have a crisis. You know, their parents are in their 70s or early 80s and they have a crisis and they need assistance. And the children then see how expensive it is and how difficult it is because so often the parents have very few options because they don't have long-term care insurance. Or the children see in the rare situations where the parents do have long-term care insurance and how easy it is for them and how options that they have. And so it's like that's when the light bulb comes on. So what I'm really saying, if you can get ahead of that curve when your loved one is still healthy and insurable, because that's important, and the younger you are, typically, if you're in your 40s, you're your premiums for long-term care will be cheaper, far less expensive. And so it's the kind of thing where if you're trying to give a gift that would be unexpected and something that a child is not likely to be even be thinking about at the time, getting a, a long-term care policy in place and being paid for where you either pay all of it or part of it for them to help them get it when, when it's... Um, uh, reasonably priced, you know, that's really helpful. Or it can be the opposite, where your your parent is still insurable, maybe in their 60s, uh, and they don't have the money for long-term care insurance. But guess what? You're very successful, but you don't have the time or the inclination to quit your job and take care of your parent because they don't have options. Well, I've seen lots and lots of Clients actually do that. They actually give up their job in order to uh, care for a parent who doesn't have the financial resources. Well, guess what? There's another option. Get a long-term care policy and pay for it for your parent or help your parent pay for that. Now, that actually takes a difficult thing. You know what it is? Some money and patience. Well, it takes a conversation with your family about money, and those conversations are very difficult to have. But these are the kind of things that can be uh, really uh, wonderful long-term. And, you know, are they appreciated the day that the gift is made? Not necessarily. It's like, oh, okay, that's nice, Dad. But it's like, hmm, I really would rather have the money somewhere else. But no, this might be the most important money that's put aside for them. It's, now, another dynamic that I worry about that can be satisfied with some early gifting is for the, uh, the future of our grandchildren. Now, why do I say that? Well, because we don't know what kind of future they will have. You know, we hope they will be smart. They'll attend college, have a great career, make lots of money. But, you know, most people don't, (laughs) right? And the folks who don't make a lot of money struggle to save money. They don't have a very large nest egg for retirement. But, you know, one of the things I talked about was the dynamics for the future. So what if futurists say that Social Security will pay for 50 years from now when our grandchildren are in their 60s and early 70s? Next to nothing. 
Well, they say that Medicaid will, I mean, that, that Social Security will still be there, and it should be enough money to pay for the medical care. In other words, it'll pay for your Medicare, and it'll pay for your, uh, hopefully, your supplemental insurance to cover your medical costs. But medical costs have never covered long-term care. And, you know, a lot of folks don't realize that. Your health insurance doesn't cover it. So it's the kind of thing where, well, if you don't have a very large nest egg, and Social Security isn't going to cover your your living expenses, it's only going to cover the cost of your health insurance, then where's all the money going to come from to pay for where you live, your home, your or your apartment? or your groceries, or your gas, or maybe it'll be electricity by then. But but the fact is, is that most people at that point, let's say retirement age is 70, the, the great majority of folks are going to live into their 80s and 90s and hundreds uh, by then. Life expectancies are going up. So the fact is, is that for a lot of Americans who don't put their money back, they will not have enough money to live in retirement. That's going to be a crisis. It's a catastrophe waiting to happen because the majority of Americans don't make the, that kind of money and, and are able to put back the, you know, into a retirement account or otherwise what they will need when they retire. What's the solution? Well, for those of us who have sufficient resources, we should consider when our grandchildren are born within the first few years of their life to buy a life insurance policy for them um, that is designed. Now, I'm not talking about these little Gerber policies and things like that. I'm talking about where each year you contribute to a policy of two, three, four, five thousand dollars a year towards that policy for each grandchild, to where over a period of seven to fifteen to twenty years you contribute at least forty or fifty thousand dollars for each policy. Now, why would I say to do that? It's not because you want the life insurance. You want the cash value in that policy to grow, 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 grow because, number one, the child will never need life insurance because you will have purchased a policy that probably gives a death benefit of at least $350,000 you know, the day you, you buy the policy. But, you know, that's real cheap insurance that you're paying for. The rest of it's going for cash value. And by the time the child reaches retirement age, which I think will be 70 at least, then guess what? Now you have a pot of money that should be in the multi-millions of dollars uh, and can be borrowed against uh, $10,000, $20,000 per month for the rest of their life to pay for care. And those policies exist today. It's the, the, I love telling people about things that most folks are never told about but these products are out there and they're you know you can contribute fifty thousand dollars to a policy that will grow to be a retirement fund for your grandchild that would be a significant pot of money that's huge and of course life insurance is asset protected it grows income tax-free 
the death benefit, you know, the life insurance death benefit is income tax-free to the beneficiary. And you can put it in a legal trust where it's not in your estate or your child's estate. So, you know, basically it's a tax-sheltered, asset-protected investment for your family. Now, to me, I think that is fabulous. It really is. And again, it comes down to having options for your planning and making sure that your assets are doing what you want them to do. If you want to learn more from Bill, schedule an appointment to speak with him by going to WGALaw.com or register for Bill's free webinars. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. If you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, or if you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, many of the topics that we've talked about today, this is a wonderful, free, educational opportunity for you. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button to learn more. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. That's also where you can register for Bill's free webinars. Just go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're having a great discussion today all related about gifting. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an opposite side. Who who are the folks that should not buy a long-term care policy? You know, that's an important question, too. And so, and here's the deal. If a person can look forward and realize that their retirement income is not going to be sufficient to live the lifestyle that they want, and pay for long-term care insurance premium after they've retired, they shouldn't buy the policy. Worst thing I can think of is to buy a traditional retirement policy, uh, you know, for long-term care. Uh, And, you know, you have the money to pay for it while you're working and you have that extra income and you've allocated it to that policy, and then you retire and you look, woo, we don't have that much money anymore, and you know we have a fixed income, and that long-term care policy is expensive. Um, well, if that's the case, and you don't have something to fall back on, like, for instance, a large nest egg. I mean, if your income is low, but your nest egg is large, you're still okay. You can still pay those premiums. Or the other possibility that I just mentioned, maybe your children are successful. You've done real well with your kids, and and they step up and help you with those premiums because they realize that at, at retirement that you need some assistance. But most of us can't count on that. Uh, now, if we have a large nest egg, we can count on that, but we cannot necessarily count on our children to come forward. So uh, that's where... There's, uh, you know, folks need to think twice before they buy if they know their retirement income is going to be low. So I would caution folks on that. And 
don't, particularly in North Carolina, uh, one of the things that they that folks do talk about is what's called a partnership policy where it can actually allow you to retain more money in a Medicaid spend-down situation if your long-term care insurance runs out. And, and frankly, at least in North Carolina, uh, it is not a good idea to use a partnership policy in your planning. And the, re- the reason is real simple. A lot of folks don't realize it, but the fact is, is that when you use a partnership policy to keep more of your money with less spend down for Medicaid, it actually increases the state's ability to, um, for what's called a state recovery for what Medicaid is paid on your behalf. If you want to learn more about subjects like that, you need to go and register for Bill's webinar. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget, WGALaw.com is where you can go to register for Bill's free webinars happening on Wednesday, November 10th. Just click on the Seminars button at the top of the page at WGALaw.com. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA benefits, find out more in the morning session. If you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, you can do that in the afternoon session. Go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button at the top of the page. We are out of time for today, but we hope you will join us again next weekend. You've been listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day.